Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. What's going on, guys? Welcome to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. This is Faraz Siddiqui. I'm here with Zach Rizzuto. In this episode, we're going to talk about a bunch of players that we were high on initially, maybe at the start of the of, of the offseason, you know, kind of in the beginning of the offseason that we're not so high on anymore. Guys who were not really taken in drafts at this point, uh, you know, in early August, in early training camp. Uh, and we also talk about guys that we might not have been high on early on in the offseason, but now we find ourselves excited about uh, taking in drafts, you know, a lot more now than we were early on in the offseason. And, and it doesn't really, it doesn't always have to do with price. So, so we'll talk about all of that. Uh, but Zach, what's up, dude? Let's get right into the rapid recap. We have a lot going on, obviously, in training camp. So let's get right into it. Can Baker Mayfield provide any more fantasy value besides being a streaming option, maybe, for QB needy teams in 2022? Maybe. I, I don't think he'll be any more than a streaming option, but you never know. Like, the argument for Baker, for Baker, like, for him to be a fantasy option is that he was stuck in a run-heavy system. And, you know, we have no idea if Kevin Stefanski is a coach who can put a quarterback in positions to succeed. Now, I think it was pretty obvious, like, last year, the year before, that Baker did leave a lot of opportunities on the field, right? right. Especially going deep. So, you know, he ha- he does have a lot of the blame on his shoulders. Uh, you know, a lot of the lack of passing success, you know, should be attributed to him, a lot of it, right? Uh, but can he be a good play with volume? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he does have, you know... A few good weapons, you know, in DJ Moore, uh, Christian McCaffrey, right? Uh, Robbie Anderson right. seems very excited to play with him now. Like, you know, we, we've seen some plays in camp between Baker and Robbie, and uh, that's quite the 180 from his original yeah. Instagram comment when Baker, you know, coming over was just a rumor. Like, I think I saw yesterday Robbie Anderson just tweeted like, hey, man, I'm ready for week one. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, right. it's just like, dude, like, it's, it's, it's too funny, man. Uh, I love it. What do you think? You think there's any way that Baker can can be more than just a streaming option, if that? I don't really think we have to look any further than Mayfield's production with the Browns to kind of get an idea of what kind of fantasy value he'll hold as a starter in Carolina, and if that's if he's ultimately the starter. We're talking about a guy that can manage the game, you know, he can manage the offense, but he doesn't really have any upside whatsoever. Even with DJ Moore around, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, Mayfield's exactly the quarterback that he was with the Browns. He's just on the Panthers now. And he's exactly what the Panthers have dealt with at QB for the past few seasons. And none of those quarterbacks were ever anything more than streamers either. The Panthers as a team overall will be better, but 
Mayfield should have the same value with the Panthers as he did with the Browns, I think. He's still a streaming option for me. I'm not really bumping him up that much. I think you can bump guys like DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson up a little bit just because they might be enjoying the best quarterback play. Not that Baker Mayfield's, you know, all-world talent. They might be enjoying the best quarterback play they've had in recent history, past two, three years. But um, I'm still leaving Moore out of my top 15 as things stand today, and we have to see about Robbie Anderson, you know. He's been obviously 180, like you said. We're not sure uh, how they're going to click, if they're going to click. I think he's going to outperform his ADP, but I, I don't think Baker Mayfield's really going to be any more valuable than he was last year. Uh, next up on a report, we have Isaiah Pacheco. Uh, he's reportedly been making some noise at the camp so f- at the Chiefs camp so far, taking snaps with the first-team offense, even running some routes out of the slot. Can Pacheco be a day-one fantasy contributor in a crowded backfield that features Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Ronald Jones, and Jarek McKinnon? Uh, yeah, the depth chart is crowded, but the rotation might not be so crowded. Right? Like, it's possible that this is a two-man rotation. You know, an early down guy like CEH right. maybe, uh, a receiving option like McKinnon to handle the passing downs. Or you have a guy like Pacheco who is getting work, you know, in both phases of the game. And, and like you said, working out of the slot a little bit. Uh, he does have good size, you know, for the position, unlike Clyde edwards Um, And he can potentially have a role, you know, all over the place, right? In the backfield, uh, the pass game, got some carries. Andy Reid talking about there's no doubt that I know that Pacheco is going to be running hard. So, and when you look at Ronald Jones, it doesn't seem like Ronald Jones uh, is getting much of an opportunity right now. You know, not really working in with the ones. Uh, CEH is working with the yeah. ones, like we mentioned last week. Uh, McKinnon's working with the ones, and Pacheco is working with the ones. So, and there's only one back out of this group who has been impressive and who's been standing out, and that's been Pacheco. So, would it be wise to take a shot on him later in drafts? Yeah, I think so. Because. If he can carve a role out in both phases of the game, like something we haven't seen in an Andy Reid offense, you know, since Kareem Hunt, right? Jamal Charles, LaShawn McCoy, Brian Westbrook, Priest Holmes, even Damian Williams a couple years ago when he got the opportunity uh, in the playoffs, right? Um, So, you know, just take the shots on these type of guys in this offense, right? CEH, he hasn't been explosive. You know, you can't say the same thing about Pacheco because Pacheco in camp has been doing his thing and showing his explosiveness. Uh, CEH had a couple years to to show what he got, and he hasn't done his thing, right? So there can be opportunity here. You know, remember, Andy Reid has played guys like Darrell Williams, who in my opinion is a jag. You know, he's played guys like Damian Williams over over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. He's played Jared McKinnon over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So, like, listen, it doesn't take much. You know, and I understand that a lot of those times Edward Slayer has been banged up or whatever, but he's been active for a bunch of those games too. Okay, so um, if you can add some explosiveness, some young explosiveness with good size, like you could be looking at a diamond in the rough. And I know that every year it seems like we might be looking at a Chiefs running back as someone to take a shot on. Um, But these are the type of shots that you want to take. Just because it didn't work out last year doesn't mean it won't work out this year, right? Uh, So we're we're hearing the buzz. He has good size. Uh, and he's somebody, and he's going to be involved. He could potentially be involved in both phases of the game. So yeah, you should take a shot on him. Right. I'm not sure he could be a day one fantasy contributor. I think it's a little too crowded for that. Um, this is really a backfield I'm avoiding overall. I mean, I'm I like to go zero running back. I don't like this backfield at all. We've heard good things about Pacheco and Rashad White. We've heard good and bad things about Jones, Ceh. All four of them, you know, all their chief running backs. They're plenty capable, 
and they can serve the role that the Chiefs offense needs them to. But I anticipate the primary fantasy contributors to be McKinnon and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And the reason I said is McKinnon actually looked really good, in my opinion, in the playoff games last year. I think he's going to be the receiving guy to start. I think that Pacheco could unseat him. I don't think McKinnon's like this talent that they're going to hold on to. You know, like we're going to start him over Pacheco just because we have him. I don't think they're going to do that. Um, but for me, none of these running backs are really worth the headache in such a crowded backfield. I think it's going to be difficult for Pacheco to make headway with four other quality players around him. I don't think they're, you know, like I said, dominant backs, but they'll have snaps. They'll all get their snaps on the field. And especially since the Chiefs team intend to use him in the return game, I think that might be a really strong factor contributing to why he's going to even make the roster. I'm not saying that he's not going to be featured in the offense, but I think this is kind of the last hurrah for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And then I think we could see Pacheco more next year if he comes on this year. But this year, especially, like I said, with the question being like a day one fantasy contributor, I'm not so sure I see that. Yeah, I hear that. Now, you call it a crowded backfield. I call it an ambig- ambiguous backfield. Right. And, and if you know me, I like to target ambiguous backfields. Right. And sometimes when you go with the cheapest right. option and those are the guys who have a chance to rise to the top of the depth chart, I'm going to attack that every time. Um, it's why I like Chase Edmonds going so late. Right. It's why I like guys like Pacheco right. going really late, um, especially on an offense that could, you know, really have some serious value. And if it's a good offense, if it's a ambiguous backfield on a good offense, I, I do like to attack those sometimes when. Uh, I could get it back, you know, for cheap in the teen rounds. Yeah. So here's one. The storyline we've been speculating about somewhat in recent episodes has actually come to fruition with Kareem Hunt requesting a trade and ultimately being refused by the Browns front office. With new tensions between the Browns and Kareem Hunt, what should fantasy owners expect from him if he stays in Cleveland? And then what if he does get traded? What's an ideal landing spot for him if he does end up on the move? So I think this is an added reason to draft Kareem Hunt. I, I know that they they denied the trade, but you know there mm-hmm. is obviously you know a little bit of tension here now, and, and it could definitely happen. Um, you know he was already somewhat valuable in Cleveland, right? Like you knew he was going to give you his big games, like maybe not every week, but he had those high ceiling games, which we saw a bunch of early last season, right? And like I think before right. he got hurt. You know, he was like a he was a he was an RB one, you know, in points per game and in, fa- in total fantasy points. I think he was the RB ten. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now, if he ends up getting moved, you know, you got yourself a chance at an RB one on another team, right? I think there are a bunch of t- like talk about you know what's the ideal landing spot. There are a bunch of teams, you know, who Kareem Hunt would step in for as a three down back. <laughs> so like wherever he gets moved, right. whatever team ends up trading for Kareem Hunt, like most likely. He could easily, easily end up being ranked in the top 12. Yeah, I think so. Um, this is exactly the scenario we're looking for as far as the trade goes. But the only and largest obstacle in the way of Kareem Hunt capitalizing on his talent with opportunity is the Browns front office. And this could be a serious issue for Kareem Hunt and fantasy managers take him, mostly because internal tension between a player and the team they're on almost never results in a substantial workload until they're traded or they come to a match. If you're drafting Kareem Hunt for that upside of an increased workload as a result of a trade, you're probably thrilled to hear that Hunt requested a trade and then just as quickly had your bubble burst when news broke that the Browns said, no, we're not we're not trading him. Um, I don't like his prospects as much as I did on the Browns. And while and also if Hunt plays with the Browns, I think he actually could have worse opportunity issues than he did even before. 
like where he was splitting snaps, albeit at almost a 50-50 split with Nick Chubb. I think all this drama is just going to result in Kareem Hunt being exposed as expendable. I mean, I think the Browns were just hanging on to him because they got him for cheap. And, you know, I think Kareem Hunt's realizing that's why he's on the Browns because he's cheap. Um, until he's traded, I'm sick if I'm a Kareem Hunt owner, which I am. I think, <laughs> I think that this is actually trouble unless he gets to another team. And even if he does get to another team, I mean, I'm look, I, I looked around at all the rosters that could need a running back. There's no team that needs a running back. Every team has a solid running back. It's just the workload, like we talk about for fantasy football, that matters. I don't see anywhere Kareem Hunt could go where he'd just be like, you know, the RB1, unless the Chiefs decide to just scrap everything they have in the backfield like we just talked about and then reunite with Kareem Hunt. But I, I just don't see that happening. So for me, I'm kind of I'm rolling in my sleep here. <laughs> all right. I'm going to go through all the teams that I think that he would just instantly be an RB1. All right, let's hear it. All right, you ready? All right, Falcons, Bills. Let's Over see. James Cook. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, easily, easily. Kareem Hunt's a good talent, man. And James Cook is not an every-down back, right? He, you know, he's not a three-down guy. He's more of a, a pass-catching type of guy. Doesn't really profile well on early downs uh, unless he, you know, gets significantly bigger. But, you know, even even on early downs, he wasn't, you know, this this guy who, who you're really afraid of breaking tackles and that sort of thing. Um, Texans, yeah. right? Uh, he he would instantly be the RB one there. Um, just going down the list here. Let's see. Um, Dare we say Dolphins? <laughs> Dolphins, yeah, yeah, he would be. But I mean, I, I, think I, I don't so. think I don't think they I don't think they would do that. Um, no, you, you never, they got their know. guy. They got their guy, <laughs> right? They got their guy. Um, right. But yeah, they're, they're, I think they're like the Eagles. I think the Eagles could potentially do, do something. Um, yeah. yeah, there's a there's, there's a few teams, man. Um, C- Seahawks. Well, the Seahawks wouldn't do something because they have a bunch of backs there, and and Pete Carroll loves to run the ball anyway. They just drafted Walker. Um, exactly. They just drafted Walker. So yeah, there are a bunch of teams. The so Washington Commanders. I mean, th- there's a bunch of teams that could use his services, and you know he could instantly be an RB one for. Um, I don't think any team is going to give up significant draft capital to get Kareem Hunt. But, right. you know, if it becomes a situation where the Browns are just trying to get rid of him because he's unhappy and they don't want to deal with it, it's possible. But the Browns are a weird organization, man. Like, they yeah. do funny things, <laughs> and you never know what's going to happen with him. But uh, but I, I don't think it, it's going to affect, like, his workload, like, while he's on the Browns. I think they're going to use him. Um, and I think Kareem Hunt, hopefully, he understands that, you know, if he does play and he does show out, then maybe teams who have some injuries to their running backs, you know, end up giving the Browns a call and, and giving them more compensation that the Browns think they would have gotten for Kareem Hunt otherwise. Right. No, I'm in agreement. I, I think that's definitely possible. But for me, I, I'm just worried about it. I just I have a feeling. Because Nick <laughs> Chubb is good, you know. He, this The Browns have all the leverage in the world. They have Nick Chubb already. They have even Dearness Johnson, like, you know. He was fine yeah. in his time where he, you know, picked up slack when Nick Chubb was injured. So I, they have the leverage right now, and that kind of has me worried. But uh, They do. You know. They do. So we were talking about the Eagles, you know, if Kareem Hunt would go to the Eagles. Speaking of the Eagles, Sports Illustrated's John McMullen believes that Kenneth Gainwell is penciled in for high-leverage work, quote-unquote, including third downs, hurry-up offense, and goal line work. So this is yet another report suggesting that Miles Sanders isn't the guy. Even though Nick Sirianni has said he is the guy, is it time to start the hype train up on Kenneth Gainwell? I think he's he's worth one of those late round picks on a running back. Like you know, he's kind of going in that range 
where you're like, well, you know, let me take a shot on this guy because, well, first of all, Miles Sanders told us not to draft him, so we're not going to draft him, right? And, right. and Gainwell, he quietly saw 50 targets last year, right, in a run-heavy year. And when you look at the Eagles' distribution of targets, like the, the they were, I think they were fourth uh, in targets to the running back position in terms of target share. Now, right. like you mentioned, like near the goal line, like I don't see, I don't think he sees goal line carries. Uh, even though he saw some last year, which is amazing. I don't really understand it. But I think he will see some goal line packages, like where they're looking to pass the ball, right? And, and then mm. the result of those plays will probably just be Jalen Hurts just running it in, right? Uh, but I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think he can provide some deep PPR value. Like, if we're expecting the offense to be more balanced this year, right, which which I think we are, uh, you know, more pass attempts, I think we should see more of Gainwell on the field. And he was extremely efficient last year as a rookie. If you look at all 24 running backs with at least 50 targets last year, he had the fourth highest rated PFF receiving grade. Um, he was also sixth among those 24 running backs in yards per route run. Um, he was right. also ninth among all running backs in fantasy points per touch. Um, and you, the qualifying running backs are any running backs who played over 25% of snaps. And, and I think he does have a, a bit of a higher ceiling than guys like Naheem Hines or J.D. McKissick because I think there's a possibility that he also sees like 10 plus carries as well as some receiving work, which we kind of saw in a few games last year where he saw more than 10 carries a handful of games. Um, and right. apparently, like you said, you know, he's killing it in camp. Like we could potentially see some like Darren Sproles like things happening here. Like and I think of Darren Sproles because of of the Eagles and, 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 and right. what he did for them. Um but that that's kind of what I what I envision his ceiling being, right? Like where he's catching, you know, four to six. Ca- he has four to six catches a game, something like that. Um, you know, and then on top of that, maybe ten carries, right? So yeah, I, I can see there's a world where that happens, and you kind of look at like what the possibilities are, what the range of outcomes are, and I think that's the in the upper range of outcomes there. And I think the lower range of outcomes is kind of what we saw last year, where you know he's getting like five to six carries a game, and then. He sees like, you know, th- there'll be games where he catches seven balls out of nowhere, right? Where he's not yeah. super useful and he'll likely be on most waiver wires, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, he's going super late. So, you know, I think guys like him who show the efficiency, who's working in with the first team, you know, obviously we can't forget that Boston Scott is also part of that, potentially part of that rotation too, right? So this could be a three-man backfield. Right. However, uh, judging by the reps in camp, it looks like uh, – it looks like um, – Gainwell has the 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 he's having the far majority of the pass catching reps um, compared to Sanders and compared to Boston Scott. So we know that we know how valuable you know pass catching is when it comes to fantasy, especially in PPR and half PPR formats. So he is somebody right. who you could take a shot on late. I, I think that's one hundred percent true. And yeah, so this report suggests that Miles Sanders isn't the guy. I think we understand that Miles Sanders may not be the guy because he told us. But Kenneth Gainwell, I think, I think, I think he's a good target. You know, like you said, I, I'm in agreement. He's coming off the board really late. He could easily return on investment. I mean, if you take him uh, 14th, 15th round, I don't know if he's going that late. You take him at his price right now, you're not going to get hurt. I mean, the Eagles are, or have been, at least in the last few years, notorious for just using all the running backs on the roster in some way. And then, you know, like you said, you have Kenneth Gainwell, Gainwell showing up with seven receptions in one game, and then the next game will get two carries. It's all inconsistent, but in this type of backfield, that's to be expected. 
This report, I think, could mean many different things. But I think that the biggest takeaway for me is that Kenneth Gainwell will be a bigger part of the offense than I originally anticipated. I didn't figure that Miles Sanders would be getting a majority of touches anyway, especially after he told us not to draft him. Hearing this isn't news to me. I think this report says more positive things about Gamewell than it does negative about Sanders. I think it just means that Gamewell is going to have more quality touches, I think, than maybe I thought he was going to. And, you know, Sanders, I wasn't anticipating anything big for. So I think we're yeah, kind of in agreement uh, yeah, on that. Yeah, and also it's like I'm looking at the ADP right now. On Sleeper, uh, Gainwell is going in at the 14-15 turn. And on ESPN, he's going like pretty much undrafted. So, right. you know, this is a situation where you can get him super, super late depending on your platform. Obviously, he's going higher on underdog um, and, you know, on, on, on other platforms. But if you're playing on those two, one of those two primary platforms, you can get him, you know, pretty much with your last pick. Right. And, and you can't get hurt. At that point, you're just shooting, no. the, shooting the moon. Exactly. So, <laughs> All right, so J.K. Dobbins, he was removed from the pup list, and he's on track to play with the Ravens in their week one opener. Gus Edwards is not on track, and he's actually considered doubtful for week one. How are we feeling about this backfield, and is Dobbins a legit zero RB target early in the fifth round? This hasn't changed for me, man. Like We knew that this was possible, that he would be good for week one, but... You know, if I had to guess, like, like I'm looking at Saquon Barkley, for example, right? Last year coming off the ACL, right? If if, you're, if I had to guess between a guy like Saquon Barkley, you know, to be good to go after ACL surgery and J.K. Dobbins to be good to go after ACL surgery, you know, I would bet on Barkley, right? And that didn't work out right. so well last year, right? And it's a common occurrence with running backs the year after an ACL to not be themselves and also for them to have a higher risk injury, uh, injury risk, you know, for things like soft tissue injuries, et cetera. Right. So and when you look at Dobbins, you know, injury, like he had extra damage to that knee, you know, extra tears besides the ACL, which makes things even more murky. So, right. you know, it's the same old things that I've been saying all offseason. Right. Uh, you're probably tired of it by now, but he's not involved in the receiving game. Goal line vultures, potentially from Lamar and Gus Edwards mm-hmm. and maybe even Mike Davis. And who knows with this coaching staff, like most most coaching staffs in the NFL would never do that. Right, right, like they would never right. put Mike Davis on the goal line over guys like you know J.K. Dobbins. But this coaching staff, like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it over the NFL, uh, over the the, the Ravens coaching staff. You know, on this one. So, uh, I I did bet on Saquon last year because you know at least he was involved in the receiving game. Uh, I don't know that mm-hmm. Dobbins will be, and I don't know if they'll release that cap on his workload, you know, or if he'll be on a pitch count. So I'm still out on right. Dobbins this year, uh, even if he is ready for week one, uh, even in the fifth round. So uh, just too many good wide receivers going at that spot. Right. In the fifth round, I'm not exactly sure I'd be happy taking him there either. I think that I agree with you. It's just when you look at the talent relative to everybody, it's easy to say, yeah, I don't want to take this guy at this point in the draft because there's so much quality talent. Even going all the way down the board in Kenneth Gainwell's range, like Jacoby Myers is a guy I've been poaching in like the 14th, 15th round, just talking about the relative price of things. But for me, I think he's absolutely a legit zero RB target. Maybe not in the fifth round, but maybe in the sixth round if he's there. I mean, if Damian Pierce and James Cook can be labeled as zero RB targets without playing a true snap in the NFL, then there's really no reason Dobbins can't be. He's on one of the most run-heavy offenses in the league. He's going to have his workload, whether it's a pitch count. A pitch count in the Ravens' offense 
It could be 15 or 16 carries. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. they, they run the ball, you know, at one of the highest rates in the NFL. Edwards is missing time too, it looks like. So we'll be Dobbins will be able to start the year and really give us a look at what he can be because I don't think they're going to be putting Mike Davis in too much to kind of spell J.K. Dobbins. I mean, he might get in there for a little early down work. I really hope they don't put him in there for uh, goal line situations, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. I wouldn't want to be targeting guys like Edwards or Mike Davis or really anyone else in the Ravens' backfield as anything other than handcuff guys. Um, but even then, I'm not sure they would be drafted in the first place. For me, Dobbins is the only rosterable running back on the Ravens as of right now. That could change, obviously, especially if injuries come up, like you said, more prone to soft tissue injuries, that kind of thing. I think Dobbins is a legit zero RB target. I do think he does. Fifth round is a little bit pricey for me, but I think if you get him like late sixth, late sixth round, even the seventh round, then maybe I'd think about, okay, he has a legit chance to return on investment because at that point, there's not going to be much more left for you on the board. I mean, Kareem Hunt, I think, is going right in that range too. Uh, I think they have similar value because J.K. Dobbins has a little bit more security in his workload, but Kareem Hunt might have the higher upside. And I don't want to call Dobbins a safe pick, but if you want to bet on volume, I think it's going to be there for Dobbins. So our next report comes out of the Hall of Fame game, and you said that's a game notoriously known for playing second and third stringers, and sometimes used as a game for rookies to get acclimated to the NFL. So why was Josh Jacobs in there? And does this worry you at all from a usage standpoint going into the regular season? Yeah, uh, it's not a good thing that <laughs> Jacobs was playing in this game early August. Like, it's really not. Uh, this basically means that they don't care about him. <laughs> and this is going to be a rotation <laughs> in this backfield. Like, Josh Jacobs, Kenyon Drake, Amir Abdullah, they'll likely be the primary rotation. And this shouldn't surprise you because, you know, as Josh McDaniels coming in, you know, from the Patriots, that's what we've seen. Right? We've seen... Like, right. you know, a couple of early down guys and like James White or Brandon Bolden, right, as a pass catching guy, right? This is very similar. They brought these guys in for a reason. Um, you know, I still think Jacobs will be the primary goal line guy. So he's going to have his weeks, possibly even some multi-touchdown weeks, as we've seen with early down guys on the Patriots, too. Uh, but I don't expect him to see 20 carries too many times this year uh, unless someone like Kenyon Drake gets hurt. Right. Um. So the question is, does this worry you at all from a user standpoint going into regular season? Well, they didn't pick up his fifth-year option, so this is right on key for the Raiders, if you ask me. I don't have a problem with Jacobs playing in the Hall of Fame game. He didn't get injured, really, so that's all that matters. We can sit here and speculate all we want about why he played. Maybe the Raiders wanted to give people a reason to tune in to a preseason game, and running back is one of the more expendable positions in the league, so they let one big-name player get, time, get the time in to draw some ratings. But that's just speculation. At the end of the day, we'll never know for sure. That being said, it's not like I expected Jacobs to be the clear one out of the Raiders' backfield anyway, like we said, especially with Josh McDaniels coming to town. It's going to be a committee anyway. So his ceiling really isn't that high to begin with. It wasn't, and this is just kind of you know the last nail in the coffin. It's obviously not going to be the Josh Jacobs show this year or anytime soon. I'm not worried about his usage because his usage that I'm projecting is pretty minimal, at least compared to other running backs like that we're talking about. Even I'm looking at like an Antonio Gibson-esque kind of workload for him, but um, I think I think Josh Jacobs is maybe not as good in the pass game as Gibson, but we'll see. I'm not worried about his usage. I expect it to be on par with what we saw last year. I think it's more of the same. I was never a fan of Josh Jacobs to begin with, and I think that he's actually going a little high in fantasy drafts at his ADP right now. 
Yeah, and, and I forgot to mention Zemir White. Like, Zemir White's there, yeah, too. Yeah, no, so he looked like, good. Yeah, he did look good. You know, he was catching passes, too. Um, and then on top of that, so it's like, what is the upside for, for Jacobs, right? Like, he's going to have Kenyon Drake there. He's going to have Zemir White there, guys who can easily, you know, be part of that that early down rotation. Um, Zemir White probably profiles more as a better runner than, than Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake probably profiles more as a better receiver. So, like, yeah, th- these roles are all – you know, intertwined, and I, I don't see a huge, you know, year for Josh Jacobs, unfortunately. I mean, the Raiders showed their hand what they want to do with him, right? They didn't pick up that fifth-year option. Right. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you don't – for a first-round running back, you've you got other guys. It makes sense. It was a good move. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's a business. I mean, yeah. I, I, Josh Jacobs was never, you know, a big fantasy guy, so I, I wasn't expecting anything more of him this year. Right. Uh, Our last for the rapid recap, ESPN's Nick Wagner writes that Elijah Mitchell continues to look like the clear-cut number one option at running back, quote-unquote. Are we going to discuss this on every podcast? It seems like the views are changing on his backfield every week. Did anything change for you since the last time we spoke about this after hearing this report? So, I have heard some updates from camp, and and I've been getting updates from my guy Jason Aponte, who has been at camp, and, and, and every day for him... You know, it, it's he, and he's not an Elijah Mitchell stand by any means, but he calls it like he sees it. And he did say that Mitchell now seems to be the guy. Okay, he said that mm-hmm. Tyrion Davis Price isn't looking good. Uh, he doesn't seem to be too involved, you know, with the first team. He said that Trey Sermon looks like the second best back behind Mitchell right now. Uh, and Jeff Wilson also, you know, isn't looking that great. So, even though Jeff Wilson is showing up as the RB2 on the depth chart. So I've been saying that I was avoiding Mitchell. But listen, if this continues, and and you you were kind of on board with this to begin with, but it it seems to to him like Mitchell will get the goal line work and was even on the field for third down situations and and can be in line to be more involved in the receiving game this year too. So – you know, this wasn't the case at the beginning of camp, but but is now starting to look more and more like Elijah Mitchell's backfield once again. So Mitchell might yeah. be back as a legit zero, zero RB candidate, as he was for you the entire time. And, and I might have to take an L on Mitchell, you know, based on how he's looking in camp and what his role is actually shaping up to be. Right. I'll let you take that out. You know, I'll take it. I'll let you be humble here. But um, <laughs> I figured Elijah Mitchell would be the clear-cut number one option. I mean, you know, they took Tyrion Davis-Price. They have Trey Sermon. But we saw Trey Sermon last year. There was some hype around him right around this time last year, and it just fizzled out. I, I don't think he's any type of long-term answer on the 49ers. But Elijah Mitchell is a clear-cut number one option. When that clear-cut number one option is on offense with plenty of other weapons, it's really easy to kind of get – you know, caught up and be like, okay, well, if this guy's in a committee, if there's someone behind him like TDP, you know, maybe he might not get the workload we want him to. It's easy to get caught up in that. But at the end of the day, we knew that Elijah Mitchell was the best running back in the backfield as far as talent goes. We know what the Niners offense is going to look like. We know he's dealt with injuries a little bit, but I don't have a question about his talent. And that's what I'm betting on. If I'm going zero running back, Um, I would have been shocked to hear anything besides that Elijah Mitchell is the clear number one. Uh, his situation is sure to be in flux all year, I think, especially just because it's the 49ers. Um, but I think that volatility is actually what's keeping his price low and making him a target. 
Yeah. I, and, you know, initially I'm like, all right, well, TDP is a big back, right? Uh, and he will potentially take those goal line carries away from Elijah Mitchell. But as of right now, does that does not seem to be the case. Can that change as camp progresses? Maybe. Um, but it doesn't seem to be the case right now. It seems like Elijah Mitchell is the one on the field during those packages when they're doing goal line red zone stuff. So, listen, like as of right now, it seems like Elijah Mitchell might have a stranglehold on more roles than I thought he was going to have this year. Right, absolutely. All right, so that covers it for Rapid Recap. We're going to jump into the main topic today for the podcast, which is players that have grown on us and kind of fallen off our radar for fantasy football. I know for us that one of your guys that has kind of grown on you is Michael Pittman. Yeah, man. Um, as I've looked more into Michael Pittman as a player and his situation, I, I realized he needed to be higher in my rankings. Uh, and one of those, one and of the that reasons was reflected. for that, <laughs> it was reflected in my latest rankings. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yes. But and one of those main reasons was Matt is Matt Ryan's uh, accuracy, especially comparing him to Carson Wentz. Um, so, so, so not only is Michael Pittman like the coaches, beat reporters raving about his accuracy. Um, you know, I'll give you some numbers, right? And Frank Wright, you know, is calling, like the way he, he describes Matt Ryan, he called Matt Ryan's accuracy insane. That's, that's the word that he used. Yeah. Um, and if you look at the numbers provided by Sports Info Solution in terms of on-target throws, right? So this is regardless of whether they were caught, right? Matt Ryan was ninth in the NFL last year uh, in that stat. Carson Wentz was 26th in the NFL in on-target throws. Right. They also provided a, a, something called a bad throw metric, right, where the quarterback was just like wildly inaccurate on a throw that could have been a play. Right. So Matt Ryan mm-hmm. was fifth best there in terms of not having as many bad throws. And Wentz was 26th. OK, so Wentz was consistently bad <laughs> last year in terms yeah. of accuracy. And if you look at what PFF provided. Uh, Matt Ryan's adjusted completion percentage uh, on deep throws was actually second among all quarterbacks who threw at least 40 passes past 20 yards. Uh, and, and you consider what Pittman did last year, right? He had 88 catches for almost 1,100 yards with a terrible quarterback in his second year. So Matt Ryan is a considerable right. upgrade here. It's shown in camp. Uh, Pittman is going into his third year, and, and I can see another considerable step forward this year. Um you look at Matt Harmon's reception perception profile on Pittman, it's ridiculously good. His success rate versus man versus press versus zone, all near elite numbers. Okay, so it shows that he is a true number one wide receiver. So that's yet another reason to bet on Michael Pittman. Uh, he's already shown that number one wide receiver target share, right? Nearly 26% last year. So, And you like to see that as part of a wide receiver's history when you're projecting forward. Right, And when you consider the fact that Matt Ryan hyper-targeted his number one wide receiver at a higher, higher target rate than Pittman had last year, each of the last six years, it gives you more confidence that he'll do the same with Pittman. So, you know, and some might think, oh, you know, Pittman isn't as good as Julio or Ridley, uh, but he can definitely be better than Ridley, right? And yeah, he's obviously not as good yeah. as Julio was. Uh, but I moved him all the way uh, up to number eight uh, in my wide receiver rankings uh, last week. So I'm in on him having an amazing third year, and you can get him in the fourth round. That's where Calvin Ridley was going a few years, a couple years ago when he was a league winner. So that's what I'm banking on right. with Michael Pittman. And you're right. I do see a lot of parallels, like you're mentioning now. You know, Calvin Ridley and Michael Pittman going in that same range. This is the same quarterback. Matt Ryan was dealing with a horrific offensive line last year. I mean, the Falcons' offense just was not good. And 
you know, some of it can be attributed to Matt Ryan, but at a certain point, you have to understand that the offense was just not good. There weren't any weapons. Julio Jones was gone, and Matt Ryan was just kind of there. He was a shell of himself. Matt Ryan has some good years left in him, I think. And on the Colts now, have a much better offensive line. And, you know, you talk about Carson Wentz and the bad throw percentage. I just keep having flashbacks to that one. He throws it right to the defender. I mean, he was going down for a sack. He wasn't even the end zone. He just, he just had to take the sack, you know. He didn't even have to throw it, and he threw it anyway. I think Wentz only had, was it like two or three interceptions last year, which is really misleading, especially when you compare it to that stat that you're saying. So I don't think a lot of people understood just how rough it was having uh, Wentz at quarterback for Pittman. Pittman is very good. And I know another thing that we talk about, like the third year is kind of like notorious for those wide receivers taking the next step, breaking out. Like all signs are pointing in the right direction, right direction for a Michael Pittman breakout. Matt Ryan's veteran savvy, I think, will help balance the Colts' offense. Not that Jonathan Taylor needs to have the ball taken out of his hands, but I think it's really just going to open up the offense and make Michael Pittman a legit threat. He's a deep threat. You know, he can run after the catch, all that kind of thing. You just talked about all those events, metrics pointing in the right direction. And I think wide receiver eight, you know, I think that's a fair ranking. I mean, it's not like something – it's not like putting, I don't even know, Jalen Waddle in there, you know. Michael Pittman – he has that upside. I mean, he has a size. He has everything that you need, all the tools to be a true wide receiver one. I think that your ranking isn't like too far out there, even though I think I think you did catch a little flack for that in those Instagram comments. That's fine. Hey, listen, man, sometimes you got to go out on a limb, right? Like we're, we're putting a lot of time into this. So there's going to be things that we put right. out there that people are just like, wait, what? Like, and they don't see it. And I get it. I understand that people don't see it. Um, it, it's only a result of just like, you know, us kind of looking into this like a lot deeper and for a lot longer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Another guy that we're kind of looking at that's been growing on us a little bit is Michael Thomas from the Saints. Uh, it's been a long time coming, but Michael Thomas is back to football action at Saints camp and reports have all been really quite encouraging for the season. It's true. We're three years removed from his historic 2019 season where he set the single season record for receptions in a season. And there's quality competition around him. They drafted Chris Olave in the first round. There's kind of a question mark at quarterback. I mean, Jameis Winston, you know, he, he looked much better last year when he was on the field than he did in previous years where he went 30 for 30. But he has he went down with some sort of injury. I forget what it was. Was it an ankle? They called it a rolled ankle? Yeah, they called, so, it, they called it a rolled ankle. So it doesn't seem too serious. Right, so not too serious, but something to monitor because Michael Thomas, for me, is kind of contingent on him having James Winston at quarterback. I think James Winston's a fine quarterback. The thing that makes Michael Thomas so intriguing is that his price tag is so low. And he's still going behind guys like Darnell Mooney and Monroe St. Brown at his wide, re- wide receiver 30 ADP. And that's kind of surprising to me considering the reports out of camp have been all very good. And he's actually kind of been like the star since he's been back on the field and playing. Anything close to a return to his 2019 form, I think we'll have fantasy managers jumping for joy if they get him in like the sixth round. But um, he's definitely, I, I've warmed up to taking him. I mean, last year I got burnt. I took him thinking he would be a playoff buff for me. You know, he'd come back week nine, 10, and then boost me to the playoffs. I, I was sorely mistaken on that one. But um, I, I'm warming up to him again. You know, I, I was a little cold on it, but now I, I think I'm ready to take him again if I can. Yeah, and we know what his ceiling is, right? Like, we haven't seen his ceiling since 2019, right? But the good news right. is that, like, it's not like, you know, he was a one-year wonder, right? Like, he's done it since his rookie year, and he's improved on right. his numbers every single year for four consecutive years. So, 
and like you said, we know the risk associated to him, right? Another injury popping up, you know? I think the reason why, you know, he was out for the entire offseason was that, you know, he just, he delayed surgery, right? Uh, but he seems yeah. to be passing now. Like, according to Beat Reporters, he is looking like himself and looking that elite, looking like that elite talent. So uh, I'm actually kind of excited to for him to play with Jameis. Like, he put up 1,700 yeah. receiving yards with Drew Brees and his limited arm, right? Now he's playing with a guy who can air it out. And I wouldn't be surprised if Thomas is asked to do more in terms of, like, his route tree, more intermediate routes, more deep routes. Uh, you know, he's called slant boy, but maybe he's just really, really, really good at running slants. And maybe Drew Brees, yeah. that's one of his favorite throws and most effective throw because of the fact that he isn't going to throw it deep all, all game long. So, like you said, going in the sixth round right now, look, he looks like he's good to go. I'm happy with that price given the upside that he presents. Um, I am not looking for safe players in the sixth round. Like I'm looking for league winners, right. and he's one of the guys I'm going to be targeting there. Yeah, absolutely. And just a note, you know, Drew Brees, he might have had a limited arm, still very good. Uh, of course. Just throwing that Hall out of there. Fame. <laughs> Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> and, and I just want to say one more thing about Jameis. Like, you know, he he might not be like – he might throw a lot of interceptions, Okay. Uh, but I don't see a scenario where, like, you know, they pull him for Taysom Hill at quarterback, right? I know right. Hill's probably yeah. going to have a role, uh, but it's Jameis's job this year, um, and you know, he is the, he is a guy who's going to air it out, and even if he's throwing a couple of interceptions, he can still, you know, you know, make a lot of wide receivers very fantasy relevant. So, uh, from a fantasy perspective, like, I'm not so worried about Jameis. I'm actually kind of excited about you know the the potential numbers that you know a lot of these wide receivers on the Saints can can um can put up this year right and and one more thing about James now that we're talking about that you know you talk about oh is he gonna throw the interceptions he was I think his inter- touchdown interception ratio was 14 to 2 yeah last season before he went down with an injury I think he cleaned that up largely I mean he's on a I think he's on a better team he had a better offensive line I think with the Saints obviously than with the Bucks. Bucks got better obviously on the offensive line but for James I think that was a good change of change of scenery for him and I am also excited to see how he plays one more guy that we've kind of warmed up to recently is Damian Pierce. So, do you want the first word on this, or do you want me to kind of yeah, jump in on yeah? Yeah, and it's because like, and people who who've been like watching my content right over the past few months this offseason, like you guys know how much I like Damian Pierce as a prospect, right? Like my only concern was where he'll fall in the pecking order uh, of this depth chart, right? And whether it'll be a full blown right. committee you know, between him, Marlon Mack, and Rex Burkhead, right? And you consider, like, what sort of league-winning appeal can he have, right, on a bad offense, right? So, but, yeah. like, I, I feel like at further glance, like, why am I worried about Rex Burkhead, right? Like, the dude always gets hurt. And, yes, he got paid, but he's 32 years old. Like, and he always gets hurt. So, like, right. what am I worried about here? <laughs> okay, like, he can be the favorite, you know, week one to handle passing downs. Right, but Pierce is extremely capable in that department, and he's a good pass blocker. So I feel like the presence of Rex Burkhead shouldn't really be a huge factor in whether I project Damian Pierce to potentially handle a bunch of pass catching duties. Okay, Um, and and part of the reason why I was excited about Pierce coming into league is because he did have that. He does have that three down skill set. You know, all he has to do is beat out Marlon Mack, right? And, And while it's not guaranteed, reports out of training camp or that he's looking like the best running back in that backfield. I'm not surprised. Um, and, and just mm-hmm. as a reminder, 
if you haven't seen our rookie draft kit, okay, he was second among all 182 FBS running backs who had 100 or more carries last year in missed tackles forced per attempt. And that's one of the big metrics that we look at when translating the game for a running back into the NFL. Um, and he was only behind B. John Robinson, right, who likely will be the dynasty rookie 101 next year, right? Um, right. So, you know, Pierce was – he was efficient after contact. He was efficient in the pass game uh, in terms of yards per route run. Uh, he's someone who can do it all. And I think if you're looking for a back – who can contribute early in the season, he would be the one that I take a shot on when you reach that tier between him, Isaiah Spiller, and Rashad White, right? Because, like, they're kind of going all back-to-back. You kind of have to make that choice between one of them, right? Um, If I had to bet on who has the most upside out of those three, it would probably be Rashad White. Uh, But it would would likely take a Leonard Fournette injury for that to come to fruition, right? Um, But it's very possible that you're getting a guy – uh, in Damian Pierce, who can be involved in both the run and the pass game, uh, which is key when you're talking about an offense who might not be like great in 2022. They might be okay, they might be decent, they might be a little bit underrated. But you know, as long right. as he's on the field running routes, like even while they're losing, that's what you want for fantasy. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, you know, Pierce is the guy that you pegged early on out of the RB class. I remember specifically writing. You said that he could work his way up to a three-down role, possibly the fastest. Lo and behold, here we are, listening to reports that Pierce could be in line for Texans' lead role in the backfield. So a little pat on the back for you there. Good call. For me, the Texans' offense is really intriguing for one reason. That's Davis Mills. And the reports have all been positive out about the second-year quarterback out of camp. If he can be the oil, the offensive engine in Houston, you know, there's no reason to think we can't have one or two quality fantasy contributors from the Texans this year, including Damian Pierce. I think this Texans' offense is going to be much better than most people are anticipating. And that's not to say that we're looking at a unit that's going to finish, you know, in the top half of the league. But top 24 offense, I think, is within within reach. And that should be plenty for a guy like Pierce to return on his ADP. They just have to score a few more touchdowns than they did last year, I think, for Damian Pierce to really, you know, make waves. And I think they're absolutely capable of doing that. Brandon Cooks is there, and Nico Collins have a good good camp. Like, the Texans offense, I've, I've said this multiple times, it's not going to be as bad as some people think. And Damian Pierce, especially if he takes, like, you know, takes the reins a little bit. And he could be, you know, the engine of the offense too. Like, he he could take this offense from where it was last year and make it something. I, I love Damian Pierce. I actually just drafted him. Like, I drafted up a lot of his shares. Right. <laughs> a few mocks and in my own draft. So, I, I'm in on Damian Pierce. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Let's talk about a few guys who we were higher on early on in the offseason, but we're kind of cooling off on just a little bit, you know, as we kind of get closer to the season. Um, The first guy that I want to hit on is Aaron Jones. And you guys might be surprised with this one, right? And, you know, I looked into this some more. And a lot of people might be thinking, like, dude, like, you're changing your opinions. Like, this doesn't help. But listen, as the offseason goes on, we're looking into things more, right? Like, we got to be able to change our opinions on guys with more information that we consume, right? I think this is something that everybody should try to do, right? You know, you know, you can't like with more data, right? Like you kind of want to be able to uh, shift your opinions if you have to. Okay. The main thing I was thinking was this around Aaron Jones. He never had an 80 catch season. Okay. In his career. Am I really going to project him, you know, for him to have one this year? Right. And I know Devonte Adams is gone. 
his usage in the past game is going to go up. But is it going to go up by 60%? Right? His career highs and receptions have been right around 50, and that's great. Um, and he's done that three years in a row. Um, but when you look at where he's being drafted right now, mid-second round, okay? Give me Saquon over him, right? I think I'd rather have Leonard Fournette over him too. You know, these guys are going to be involved in the pass game as well, especially Saquon, obviously. Both will have the goal line roles locked in, uh, and that matters more for Fournette, you know, since he doesn't have that 100-cat ceiling but is on a great offense with plenty of touchdown opportunity. Um, and then you have to consider A.J. Dillon, right? And, you know, I think I was right. – being a little low on AJ Dillon early on in the season, he's a good back, and it's possible we see him take most of the goal line carries there. He did catch 34 balls last year. You know, he had a similar amount of carries as Aaron Jones did, and he might even get more work this year, right? If the Packers are going to be more run heavy, you know, given the fact that they have a good defense and they lost Devontae Adams and they were already relatively run heavy before they lost Devontae Adams, right? This can easily happen. Um, and the work between right. these two picks, you know, might be more split than we think, and maybe the ADP isn't really reflecting that right now. Um, so last year, right, Aaron Jones had 19 total touches inside the 10-yard line. Dylan had 26. Dylan also had more carries mm-hmm. inside the 5-yard line as well. So, you know, he's getting rave reviews out of camp, okay? Particularly, you know, coaches and players, including Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers talking up his drastic improvements overall, and Rodgers specifically called out his pass-catching ability, right? So, like... Right. I, I think I'm going to fade Aaron Jones at his price, you know, after initially comparing him to DeAndre Swift in terms of like, who do I want? And I think looking mm-hmm. back, I think that was a bad comparison. I think Swift has a way higher ceiling and floor than Jones does this year. And I, I have them in completely different tiers right now. Um, and, and I think I might be moving. I'm not, I'm not, I don't remember exactly where I have Aaron Jones in my rankings, but I know that I think I have him under Saquon and under Fournette right now, if I'm not mistaken. Um, just where he's going, the, the opportunity cost is too high. Uh, so I think I'd rather right. wait and potentially just grab A.J. Dillon a little bit later. So what do you think is an appropriate you know, spot to take him? So I, think, I mean, I know you don't like the mid-second round. I think if he falls to the third, um, I'm happy with that. You know, I just think that mid-second is a little bit too high for me. But if he drops to the third round, even early third, I think I'm happy with it. As long as Saquon's off the board, Fournette's off the board, a couple of the receivers are off the board. But for the most part, I like him there. Third round, I'm happy with. I think his upside, his ceiling, like on a per-game basis, ceiling can be pretty high. Right. Uh, Also, another thing. If you look into the games where Aaron Jones was without Devonte Adams, he averaged a ton of fantasy points, close to 25 fantasy points per game, averaged a bunch of targets per game. Now, however, if you look at it from a game-by-game basis, it actually wasn't as amazing as it looks on paper uh, because there were games where Aaron Jones was playing, he only saw a couple targets, right? Um, and right. Alan Lazard, one of those games, went off. Um, so it was a little bit up and down, but the average looked really good. Um, so just keep that in mind, uh, in terms of like whether Aaron Jones is going to give that type of production to you every single game. And then now he has to compete a little bit with AJ Dillon. Okay. So like, uh, when I, you know, I didn't look into those game logs, you know, uh, on an individual basis, but once I did, I was like, mm, this isn't as amazing as the averages made it look. So just wanted to throw that All out right. there. Um, to kind of play devil's advocate on that stat, because I actually had that down. I, I like Aaron Jones a little bit more. I mean, not not that um, I like him a ton, but I, I don't think it's fair to kind of shove him down in the third round. 
this isn't an Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard situation. Aaron Jones should be just as dynamic as last year. He hasn't really lost a step, I don't think. And going off what you said about the splits with and without Devontae Adams, I think it was over eight games, and he actually averaged more than eight PPR points per game more without Adams on the field. So let's be conservative and assume that that holds up. Let's say he averages four or five more points per game instead of eight like he had. That still puts him... I mean, he averaged 15 points a game last season with A.J. Dillon on the field. That still puts him at 20 points per game. And I'm not saying that's how it's going to work, but, you know, like, I think the upside is still there. I don't think they're just going to drop Aaron Jones and be like, oh, here's A.J. Dillon. It's not like, you know, they don't want to have Aaron Jones on the field anymore. I I think, personally, he might have moved down a little bit just because of his hype surrounding A.J. Dillon, but I don't think it's as drastic as you're making out to be, and I don't have a problem with you saying that. But I think... I'm still okay with taking AJ AJ Dillon in the second round, and that's because Aaron Jones, you mean? And you compare him to Saquon. You 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 compare him to Saquon and Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette, we'll see how he does. I mean, I think he'll be okay. Saquon's the one I'm thinking that Aaron Jones could easily beat out, just because the Giants' offense is pretty pretty bad. You know what I'm saying? Even like Daniel Jones is not running a clinic up there, so <laughs> I think I'd take it. Aaron Jones over Saquon, and then it's kind of a toss-up between uh, Jones and Fournette. It just kind of depends how I'm feeling on the day. Right now, I'm feeling more Aaron Jones than Leonard Fournette. Yeah, I hear you, man. Um, the the thing with Aaron Jones is that you know he's always been efficient, right, his entire career, uh, and he can definitely continue that. Right. And that's that's part of the reason why he's so intriguing, you know, in that in the middle of the second round. That's why he's going there, right, because of that. Um, but, yeah, and I think that he is going to be a very big beneficiary, you know, because of the fact that Devontae Adams is gone. Uh, so he, he's definitely going to have his games for sure. Um, I just wish that the price right. tag was just a little bit cheaper. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm in agreement. All right, so another player that we're, you know, not really feeling as much as we maybe did at the beginning of the offseason is Debo Samuel. Yeah, man. Um, early on in the offseason, I had Debo ranked – as the overall wide receiver six. Um, I have him ranked at wide receiver 10 in my latest rankings. Um, and to be honest, he's simply somebody that I'm not really touching right now at his price. Um, I think there are way right. too many variables for Debo to overcome this year to reach the ceiling that he saw last year. Number one, you know, he has a new quarterback uh, who ha- he has shown zero rapport with so far. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he hasn't been on the field during camp in the beginning, right? Uh, maybe that comes, maybe it doesn't. Who knows? Another is that this team now has a stable of running backs who I think will likely be complementing Elijah Mitchell. Like we mentioned earlier that Mitchell's the guy. But I, I think Debo will get his occasional carries out of the backfield because he's a playmaker. But I do not see the 6.6 rushing attempts he saw in the second half of last year. Um, I, can, I can see Trey Sermon actually being, you know, getting a few carries a game opposed to zero last year, right? Uh, maybe TDP <laughs> comes in, right. you know, for some stuff. But I think that they have a nice stable of backs where they don't have to depend on Debo in the run game to avoid giving Elijah Mitchell this ridiculous workload um, that, that they didn't want to give him last year just to kind of keep him fresh, right? Um, and is he really going to score seven rushing touchdowns this year, right? Like, he's due for a regression there. Uh, he only had six receiving yeah. touchdowns on the year uh, last year. So it's possible that he doesn't near that double-digit touchdown marker that we would assume he hits just because of, you know, how he did last year, right? And he was, like, 
uber efficient on his receptions last year. 18 yards per right. reception last year, which is absolutely ridiculous, especially on a on you know with high volume. So I think he's due for a regression there as well. So when you look at the second half of last season, Brandon Ayuk had a higher target share than him. So we all know that Ayuk is yeah. killing it in camp right now. He has a serious rapport with Trey Lance. It's very possible when it's all said and done this year that Ayuk outproduces Debo in the receiving game. I don't think that's out of the question. Um, so if that if we're if I'm questioning that, I think Debo obviously is an immense talent, right? I think, but the opportunity cost mm-hmm. again. I always go back to this. It's too high to take him at that cost. You know, where there are other more sure things for me in the middle of the second round, right? Um, that's where he's going on 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 most platforms. Yeah. So I, I think I'm staying away from him. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I've had Devo Samuel lower than the current consensus rankings of wide receiver six. He's actually the wide receiver six consensus rankings wow. on Fantasy Pros right now. I've had him lower than that for the entire offseason. So this isn't so much as me saying that I've soured on him as like I've been sour on him. (laughs) I don't think the route that he took to finish as a wide receiver three last year is really repeatable at all. Yes, Debo has the incentives in his new contract that require some rushing production, but um, he's clearly disgruntled with the way he's been used regardless of the contract that he signed. And I wouldn't expect, like you said, seven or eight touchdowns again. I think there's regression there. So take away, let's, let's say three touchdowns from that production, four touchdowns even, depending on how he's used. That's a big dip in rushing production. Then we talk about Brandon Ayuk having a big camp. You know, Brandon Ayuk has this rapport with Trey Lance. And it's not so much that Debo can't have rapport with Trey Lance. It's just that he hasn't been on the field, like you said. So now Trey Lance is getting comfortable throwing to Brandon Ayuk. We could see his receiving numbers fall at the same time as his rushing numbers fall. Like that's two things that, you know, and you, you mentioned his efficiency. 18 yards per, per reception. It's like all those things kind of point towards trending in a negative direction this year. Lance isn't Jimmy G. I mean, his price at the second round, I think, is just crazy. It's been there. It's been really high up, and I, I haven't understood it. I've been avoiding him in all the formats. I think he is a talent. You know, he's a really good talent. But, I mean, we saw what he does with the ball in yeah. his hands, but there's so much, there's so much changing around him, and there's – so much that went on this offseason where we're not sure what his workload is going to be. He said he didn't want to be that wide back that they were deploying him as last year. And that was what made him really fantasy relevant. Not not fantasy relevant, but really made him a star. Right. So I'm going to sit back and see how things go before, you know, I take him in a draft. I'll let someone else deal with it. If it goes if it goes badly, you know, I'll be happy that I avoid him. And if it's the same as last year, you know what? I'll be happy taking a guy with a little bit more upside. I mean, I don't know if you could get C.D. Lamb that late. But there are plenty of other guys that I'm happy taking. Like you talk about uh, Michael Pittman. You know, he's actually going to the fourth round. I obviously wouldn't reach in the second round, but right. there's plenty of other talent going around him. Yeah, and I have Pittman ranked over him. So, right. um, and, and I get it. You know, it's really hard, I think, to imagine somebody, you know, being a league-winning player for you the year before, right? And then going into the next year, like, wait, what? You're avoiding him? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I get it. it it's, it's weird. But, you know, you kind of have to look at the path on how they got there. And I think Debo's going to be good. He's going to have some big games because mm-hmm. that's the type of player he is. But do you really want to depend on the type of volume and the type of opportunity that he's getting? Because that is really what determines, you know, the fantasy points at the end of the day. That's what is the sticky stat, not right. necessarily the production that he had the year before. All right. Um, all right. The last guy here, you guys are going to be surprised with this one, too, because you guys know that I'm a Deontay Johnson stan. Okay, everyone knows how much I love Deontay Johnson. 
But this one is a little simple for me, actually. Um, he's more than likely going to command a high target share. I, 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 have, I have a really strong feeling about that. But there are a few guys going around him who just, I think, have more upside than mm-hmm. him this year. And I think Deontay, he has a safe floor on a weekly basis. Uh, but this offense might not be good. And I think I'd rather chase more upside with guys around him. And judging by the drafts that I've been doing over the past few weeks, I, that's kind of how I've been acting. Okay, And the reason why I flipped on this a little bit, because the more drafts I do, the more I, fi- I find myself not taking Deontay and going with guys like Michael Pittman, right. DJ Moore, DK Metcalf, even with no quarterback, more <laughs> upside, Travis Etienne, Brees Hall. These are all guys going around that you know around uh, Deontay Johnson, you know, on platforms like Sleeper and ESPN, um, you know, and Yahoo. So, yeah, man, like I'm not, I'm not taking him in a lot of drafts if these guys are available. Now, if these guys are off the board, sure, you know, if he falls a little bit, I like taking advantage. Boom, I'll grab him like you know late fourth round, something like that. But as of right now, I think I'm off of him. That's crazy. Can you believe it? As much it? as it hurts to say Faraz is off of Deontay Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> After hyping him up all offseason. I know, I know, I know. And his price, man, like just and, and you know me, right? I'm a guy who who I'm a, I'm a guy who aims for upside, right? right? Like I don't think you've heard me once say this entire offseason, like, yeah, you know, I really like him because he has a safe floor. Right. Right? Like I've never said that. Even though I like you did guys just say who that. Have the, <laughs> no i did say it but it's, right, right, it's about right. a guy who i'm kind of avoiding right yeah, yeah, yeah. um with, with deontay last year he had that he had such a high target share and he had a, such a high target count that like you know his floor was like every single week super consistent um but you were able to grab him later in drafts last year right i think if i'm not mistaken deontay was like a fifth sixth round pick yeah i think it was sixth year. round yeah um so the opportunity cost is way higher going into this year yep and you know I've been fading Deontay Johnson all off season, and I've been you know you've been singing the <laughs> praises, and I, I've just been crapping all over him. But um, I'll continue to do so, largely in part because of the turnover and uncertainty at QB, but also because you know we heard about George Pickens impressing at camp, so this could be yet another wide receiver to add to the mix. Chase Claypool, I mean you know he's not a top three receiver like he says, but he's also not a chump. Uh, they drafted Calvin Austin. They have Pat Fryermuth. And they also have Najee Harris coming out of the backfield, who's going to get, I think, at least 60 targets. I think that's being generous, like saying like that's undercutting it a little bit. So yeah, I would say so. The wide receiver room in Pittsburgh is, in a word, crowded. Uh, the Steelers, like I said, invested solid draft capital to go get those receivers. So I don't see how they wouldn't use them. I don't see this offense either being like you know top of the league. So Deontay Johnson, I think he'll have a few games. That where he's like, oh, okay, maybe maybe he's returning on investment. But you talk about DJ Moore. You talk about DK Metcalf. You talk about all these other guys going around him. Travis Etienne, Brees Hall. And I think even like Cam Akers, even though we know we talked about a report where Daryl Henderson might be getting more work. That's just a whole other thing. But there's so much talent going around him that I'm fading him, which is no surprise. And I'd fade him even for other guys that are even going later than that. Like I actually, and this might be a bold take, I actually like Elijah Moore more than Deontay Johnson right now. <laughs> I think that Elijah Moore has higher upside than Deontay Johnson. That, that's a fair that's fair analysis, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. But, Michael Thomas. Right? Yeah, Both of those Michael guys Thomas. going in the sixth round. Uh, right. you know, Elijah Moore might fall to the seventh, you know, depending on who you're drafting with. 
Um, mm. A lot of guys just don't want Jets players. I get it. <laughs> but, you know, Elijah Moore has more potential down the field. Uh, you know, so it, it's – yeah, I, I see it. I see it. So makes me sad. But, you know, it is what it is. Deontay Johnson, I'll probably see you next year. <laughs> <laughs> It'll still be in Pittsburgh. So maybe Kenny Pickett will be playing then. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. All right. That'll do it, guys. Uh, a little bit of a longer episode this week, but I feel like we covered a lot in this episode. So I hope this so. helped. I uh, hope you guys made it through. If you're still here, I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Uh, if you can rate and review the podcast, that would mean the world to us. If you can share it with somebody. I know you don't want to share it with your league mates, but if you share it with somebody else who's not in your league, that would mean the world to us, uh, and we greatly appreciate that. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, for Zach, for, for, for me, for Raz, uh, we're out of here. We'll talk to you guys soon. See ya. Don't forget to subscribe.